Good morning. Hey, so good to see you all. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm the pastor here at Mosaic Church. And again, thank you for everyone who's here this morning. I know it's a little sketchy sometimes with the snow. And then everyone who's joining us online, thank you so much for joining us or whenever you're going to watch this as well. I had the privilege to be in Florida with my family last week, and it was a great time to get away. Uh, sometimes I think people in the Midwest kind of single-handedly drive the tur tourism industry of Orlando, because it seems like people from Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan are constantly going down to Florida like in February. Part of the reason we went down to Florida was we had purchased tickets for my son, who's a huge Toby Mac fan, to go see Toby Mac in concert two years ago. Well, he had a tragic death of his son, so that tour got postponed to COVID, and then it got postponed again and again. We were going to drive down to Illinois so he could go to that concert. So finally, we just got a refund for our money and said, hey, let's fly down to Tampa. Uh, we have more than enough miles that we can fly southwest for free for the whole family. So we flew down to Orlando. I took Joshua, my 10-year-old, Rebecca, my 8-year-old, and Andrew, my 5-year-old, to their first real concert down in Orlando. And it was really cool. Uh, everybody was socially distanced. Everyone had their masks on. We were sitting on the, on the floor of the arena, and they had like four chairs set up for us, and then like six feet, and then another four chairs. So it was really neat just to be still in the room, kind of like this, where you're still spaced out, but together singing these great songs uh, to our God. And it was an awesome night. The kids had so much fun. And then uh, we are leaving, and we're getting out of, of the arena where it is, and, and there are kind of people all around. And, you know, we got our masks up, you know, to hear. And I'm with the kids, and we're going out. And all of a sudden, I hear, Eric? Eric Lindeen? And I look, and I see a, uh, a young lady standing there, and she's like, Eric? And I was like, yeah. She's like, it's Rochelle Peterson. Um, we had gone on one date 20 years ago, and uh, she's from Minnesota, moved to the Bahamas, then moved to uh, Tampa. I had no idea. And somehow in a crowd of a couple thousand people with my mask up, she recognized me. And we hadn't seen each other in about 20 years. And so we just, hey, it's so good to see you. What's, what's new with life? And then we leave, and my kids are like, Dad, how did she recognize you in this huge crowd of people, like, trying to leave? I was like, I don't know. So I go home and, and, and tell Kristen about that because she stayed back with Mariah. And she's like, babe, you have a very distinctive brow. That's why everyone can recognize you even with your mask up. I was like, what? I don't know anything about this. So apparently my forehead is very distinctive that people can recognize me even with my mask on uh, 20 years later. The thing about Jesus is that he had something that people could recognize him in a crowd, something that drew him, that drew people to him. He was distinctive. He had this thing, probably not a distinctive brow, apparently like I have, uh, but there was something about Jesus that just drew people in, that, that crowds wanted to be around him. Well, that's what we're going to be diving into today as we, we journey through the Gospel of John. And before we dive into there, I just want to, again, just welcome you to Mosaic Church. And just real quick, kind of who we are as, as a church. Um, we exist to help people love God, serve others, and make disciples. You've heard this again and again, but I think it's so good to repeat this. This is why we exist. Uh, the great commandment, Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we exist to help you to know God, to, to love God. And then the second commandment, he said, is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself is to, to serve others. And then when Jesus was going up to heaven in Matthew 28, 19, he said to his disciples, go and make disciples. We said that, that word disciple is talmudim. 
it can be translated also as an apprentice or a follower of Jesus. And so in the last year or so, we've been talking a lot. What does it mean to be an apprentice, a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? We kind of boiled it down to kind of three big things. It's to be with Jesus. In John 15, we're not quite there yet in our study for the Gospel of John, but Jesus is going to tell his disciples and conversely us to abide in him as the branches are connected to the vine to receive life and sustenance. In the same way, we have to be with Jesus. We have to be intentional about being with Jesus. We've said that spiritual growth isn't going to just happen by accident. We have to be intentional. We partner with the Holy Spirit in this journey of following Jesus. We've said, you know, I encourage everyone, first thing in the morning, before you check your email, social media, whatever it might be, the news, Spend some time with Jesus. And that might look different for each and every one of us. It may be just you're waking up and as you're rolling out of bed, Jesus, oh, I need your love and grace. I didn't get much sleep last night. Or, or you know, maybe it's sitting down with a cup of coffee or your tea and you're going to journal. Maybe it's just sitting in a quiet space and you're going to sit in stillness and just, okay, Jesus, I'm meeting with you here before my kids are up or before I go to work. Whatever that might look like, I want to encourage each and every one of us as followers of Jesus that we start our days just being with Jesus. And then we want to become like Jesus. We had a great discussion about this with our governing team last week. Um, and, and apparently the way I read this is different than some others. So I want to bring some clarity to that. This doesn't mean we can ever accomplish that goal. Now, I know that sounds like really disheartening. Like, what? Like, you're never going to wake up one day and we're going to be like, Brian Stevens, come on down. You've officially arrived. You're now just like Jesus. Like, I love Brian, but he's probably never going to be exactly like Jesus. However... We all have things that are influencing us. The people we follow on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, the news channels we read, the blogs we read, all those things, we're Talmudim, we're apprentices of those things. And we want the dominant influence to be Jesus. We, we want to become like him. When we say, who do I want to be when I'm in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 60s, 80s? Well, when I see the trajectory of my life, I want it to be becoming like Jesus. And we'll never reach perfection this side of heaven, but God tells that glorification happens, that we will in a moment be changed into the perfect uh, person that God has created us to be once we're on the other side of eternity. But our goal is to become like Jesus, that we want to you know, look down our, our lives and say, okay, am I on this journey of becoming like him as I follow Jesus and as we do that, what naturally is going to happen is we're going to do what Jesus did. You know, as we read through the Gospel of John, we see him bringing healing. We see him bringing hope and, and, and love and, and seeing the untouchables and, and all those things that Jesus does. We want to look at our lives and say, okay, Jesus, what would you do if you were living in Corcoran, Maple Grove, Osseo, Brooklyn Park, Champlain, you know, in the 21st century? How would you love my neighbors? How would you parent you know, my kids, how would you reach out to this person who I know is hurting? And, and we want that lens of, okay, when I see what Jesus did, how, how am I going to now do what Jesus would do if he was walking it in our shoes today? Go on to the next slide there. So as I was thinking about this, like my job as your pastor isn't to just give you some good principles to live by or to share some nice stories. It's to help you get a clear picture of the glory and the majesty of Jesus of Nazareth to help you walk in Jesus' unforced rhythms of grace. I love the message translation of Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. 
our goal, we hope, is that you don't just, you know, have five principles for a better marriage or uh, parenting. And while that can be good, what we want is for you to have a clearer picture of the amazing God that we serve, that Jesus is so loving, that he's so compassionate, so full of grace. This king humbled himself, and the battle belongs to him. So that, that's our goal on Sunday morning, not just to give you some tips or some nice stories to entertain you, but really to give you a clearer picture that all of us, when we leave, can just be even more in awe of the grace and the love of Jesus. Well, we've been journeying through the Gospel of John. One of my favorite things here at Mosaic is when we go through books of the Bible. When we start off, we went through the book of Genesis in our first year. And then year two, we did the Gospel of Luke. Year three, uh, book of Acts. We kind of want a big overview of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then we've covered some other books of the Bible. And I just kind of love that we can then go back and kind of say, here's what we've covered kind of uh, previously uh, last week on WandaVision. Here's what has happened. And so we're going to do a quick recap of, of Gospel of John. We've been journeying through uh, this Gospel. John 1, we said God moved into the neighborhood in the person of Jesus, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Father through the person of Jesus. And what an amazing thing that is. We said that Jesus, he tabernacled among us. And then in John 2, we see Jesus does his first sign where he turns the water into wine. We said, why does he do that? Well, Jesus has come to give true festival joy to each and every one of us. And the end of the story doesn't end us just kind of floating up in heaven playing harps, but heaven comes to earth and the gates are open to everyone. And then we get to have this amazing feast with Jesus as his bride. He is our groom and, and it's a celebration. But to get to that celebration, Jesus is going to have to first go through the cross. He's going to have to first drink deeply of that cup of wrath and suffering. And in the same way, before we get to have that amazing connection with Jesus at the end, when heaven comes to earth and, and everything is made perfect and right and, and healing moves backwards through time and every tear is wiped away, we will endure some suffering here on earth. In John 3, uh, Josh Olson did a great job talking about that Jesus comes offering eternal life and eternal life means life that starts here and now, then extends into eternity. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is what Jesus came to offer to each and every one. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter what's been done to you. Jesus offers that free gift of eternal life. And then in John 4, we see one of my favorite chapters in Scripture as Jesus is passing through Samaria and he sits with this woman. With his, she's maybe been wrong. She's had a shady past and she's powerless, unlike Nicodemus in chapter 3, who's powerful. And Jesus gives her full attention to her and shows her dignity and worth and says, I am the living water. Drink deeply and you can find forgiveness and healing through me. And we see the harvest is white and he invites us as his followers to share that message. And then Ethan last week did an awesome job talking about how Jesus offers healing and how there was a, a man for 38 years who had been lame. And Jesus says, do you want me to heal you? And what a question. You think, yes, of course, right? But Jesus knows our heart, and he's a gentleman, and he comes to each and every one of us and asks that same question. Do you want to be healed? 
And then Jesus offers that healing. And then today in John 6, we're going to see that Jesus is our, both our provision and our peace. And before we dive into John chapter 6, would you just join me in a word of prayer? Father, Son, Spirit, thank you that you are here with us in this room and those who are watching online. And thank you for the gospel of John and what a great picture of these stories that show us who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, and that through him we can drink deeply of living water, that we can receive eternal life. And so, God, I just pray this morning each and every one of us would have a clearer picture of your grace, of your, of your glory. Just be in awe of you and how you invite us into your family. God, I pray that anyone in here struggling with shame, guilt, would know they can receive your free gift of forgiveness. They don't have to live weighed down by their guilt and shame. That you bring healing, you bring hope. For those feeling alone, watching online or in this room, God, they would know that they can be part of a family. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go on to the next slide there. So we're going to dive into John chapter 6. You can open up your scripture journals or uh, you can have your, your Bible app on your phone. Otherwise, you can just read along with me. Uh, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, who lived in that area that they're in right now, that's where he grew up, where are we going to buy bread so that these people, these big crowds, they may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So we got the setting here. This is the time of the Passover. We've talked that really the dominant event of the Old Testament scriptures is that God rescuing his people out of slavery and bondage of Egypt into the promised land. And they remembered that every year in this festival called the Passover. And the last and final plague that God inflicted on the Egyptians was that his angel of death would come and kill the firstborn of every family unless you took the blood of a lamb and painted it on the doorposts of your house. And then that angel of death would pass over your house and your family would be saved. And so every year they remember this great event. And so this is the time. And during the Passover every year, kind of the spirit of nationalism was running high. A lot of patriotic uh, fever was going on. And so there were always kind of people were, were coming into Jerusalem and there's the idea of, well, maybe this year God will raise up that Savior and will free us from the evil empire that we're living under. And so there's this, this kind of expectation that someday God will raise up this prophet like Moses who would free us from the slavery and bondage that we are currently in, in Palestine, uh, under the boot of the Roman Empire. And, and where are we? We're on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. i got a little, little map here. We can see here, Jerusalem's down here, uh, Jericho. And we saw that Jesus, he traveled north. And a lot of times they'd go around. 
But this last time in chapter 4, he stopped in Sychar, where the woman at the well, and they had this great uh, connection and talk, and, and then many people believe that he's the savior of the world, the title they give only to the Roman emperor, but they give it to Jesus. It's a very subversive thing. And then they travel north up here, and now they're up here uh, at the Sea of Galilee at Bethsaida, where Philip, uh, Peter, and Andrew, they all kind of grew up as fishermen in this area. So this is kind of the Sea of Galilee where we are now. Cana was where the wedding was in chapter 2. Uh, go ahead and, and the next slide. You can see a picture, uh, kind of modern day, kind of beautiful area, Sea of Galilee. Uh, go on, next, next slide. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough to buy each of them to get a little. This is basically the equivalent of six months worth of wages. He's like, we don't have enough money to buy bread for all these people. Like, you know, who's going to buy Chick-fil-A for everyone? Plus, you know, they're not open on Sundays. What are we going to do here? One of his disciples, Andrew... Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Go on to the next slide. We see here, Philip, he's calculating. He's saying, there's no way we can possibly make a difference. There's all these people who are in need of food. What can we do? There's no way we can make any difference. And Andrew, he's looking at the resources they have. He's like, well, we got these, this bread, we got this fish, but it's not enough. And this uh, past week or two, as I've been meditating on this, man, so often, many of us, we fall in these categories, I think. We look around and we calculate our resources or our talent or the size of our church or whatever it might be, and we say, uh, I, I'm running the numbers, and, and, and there's no way we, we can do that. There's no way that, you know, God can use us to, to do that because it just doesn't, the math doesn't work out. Or like Andrew, we, we look at the little things in our hands and we say, well, this is all I have. It's, it, it's really nothing. And you look at the time you have, you look at your resources, you look at your talents, and you just say, uh, it's not much. But let's see, what, what does Jesus do? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there's much grass in this place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. So we got 5,000 men plus the women and children. And Jesus then took the loaves, and we had given thanks. He distributed to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted." An exceeding abundance. Jesus does this amazing miracle that he takes these five loaves, the two fishes, and he multiplies it after he breaks it, after he blesses it, and then he gives it. Go on to the next slide. And when they'd eat, eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Each disciple has a whole basket full left over of food. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is what we've been waiting for, the one like Moses, perceiving that they, they were then going to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I love this reaction of Jesus. He knows it's not the time. They wanted to make him some kind of political leader. Instead, he withdrew. Now, I think it's great Christians can be involved in politics, but the reality is our hope is not found in the political system of today. Amen? It's not in the Democratic Party. It's not in the Republican Party. It's not in some independent party. We can put our hope in Washington. It's always going to let us down. Instead, Jesus, he withdraws. He doesn't let them make him king. He, doesn't, he said, no, that's not how my kingdom is going to come about. And people, we're going to see here. Now, this is the sign. Go back real quick. Go forward. Sorry. 
Yeah, the seven signs. Yeah. So what we're going to see in the book of John, there's these seven signs. And I think Ethan even talked about that a little bit in the book of John. And these signs are to help the reader see that Jesus is the Christ. First sign was Jesus turning the water into wine in John chapter 2. The second sign in the Gospel of John is the healing of the Jewish official's son in John Four, where the man comes and says, Jesus, please heal my son. And at a word, he says, go, your son is healed. And the man doesn't know, is he healed, is he not? And he has to take that step of faith to go back home. We see that Jesus isn't limited by space or, or time, that, that he can heal from a distance. And then the third sign in the Gospel of John, Ethan talked about this last week, was healing that lame man at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. He's Lord of even the Sabbath. And then today, we see the fourth and the fifth Sign, But the fourth sign is this feeding of the 5,000. We see that Jesus is our provision. That Jesus brings us more than enough when, when we are in need. And we, we look at what's in our hands and we say, it doesn't seem like it's enough when we, we're calculating and we're doing the math. But Jesus, he says, no, I'm your provision. And after the sign, Jesus withdraws to a mountain by himself. Now I want to pause here real quick because this is, I think this is, a really important sentence in between these two signs we're going to see of Jesus doing ministry. Some of us uh, are wired up, I know I am, to give, 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 whether it's with our kids or or friends or at your church or whatever it might be. And what can happen is that then we can find ourselves burned out. And so it's so important that we need to withdraw, maybe not to a literal mountain, maybe you need to, or the beach, to recharge. We can't give what we've not received ourselves and what we have within us. And so, husbands, make sure you have time that you're encouraging your wife to, to get away, to recharge, whatever that looks like. Maybe that's with friends, maybe it's by herself. Wives, same thing. Encourage your husband when he comes home from work or if he's home with the kids all day, whatever it is. Hey, what do you need to recharge? Is it alone time? Is it time with one or two friends or a couple friends? Uh, for those of you who aren't married, you know, are, are you taking time to do what you need to recharge and, and by recharging, it's, it's being with Jesus. It's, it's being filled up by experiencing silence and solitude, doing something fun, getting out in nature, whatever that might be. That in those seasons, in between of giving, 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 make sure you're getting recharged and figuring out what that is. Let's go on. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The fifth sign in the Gospel of John, Jesus walking on the water. We see that Jesus is our peace. Jesus sent his disciples on ahead of them in the boat. He's like, I'm going to stay back. And this is recorded uh, in in, uh, three of the four Gospels. Uh, Side note, I think it's really hilarious uh, that if you read the Gospel of John, you see there's this competition between John and Peter. And we talk about this, how in John chapter 21, uh, John says that, you know, we both raced and I got there first. Uh, before Peter, and uh, it's really funny. Later on, we're going to see in the other Gospels, they talk about how um, they're like, you know, one of the disciples chopped off the ear of, uh, of one of the guys when they came to take Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and John's like, it was Peter, it was Peter. Like, he's the one that outs him. And in the other Gospels that tell this story, they talk about how Peter got out in water and walked on water. Did you notice what was missing here? Yeah, John leaves that out. 
He's like, I'm going to leave that out of the story, John, or Peter. Like, that's hilarious. Like, how competitive are these guys that John purposely leaves out that part where Peter walks on water? I think it's funny. I don't know if you do, but um, sense of humor with these guys. But we see Jesus walk on the water. If you read the other Gospels, you'll see that Peter also walks on the water. But Jesus is our peace. Go on. This is so important to remember that Jesus' apprentices were in trouble because they were obedient to him. So often when we're in a storm, we think, oh, what did I do wrong? Why aren't things going the way that I hoped they would go? Well, Jesus sent his disciples on ahead of him. We see that in the other Gospels. It's a little more clear. And then this storm arrives. But they're in that storm because they were obedient to Jesus. See, Jesus wanted them to be in that storm so that they then would see him coming to them and he would bring peace in that situation and they would see him calm the storm. So many times in our lives, we find ourselves in these situations where we're like, what's going on? Maybe did I mess up? But the reality is, Jesus maybe wants us in those storms so that he then can be our peace. Go on. Only when it was darkest and hope had run out did Jesus come to them. In one of the other Gospels, it says it was about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, in the middle of a storm, these fishermen who grew up in these waters, and they were freaked out, and they were, thought they were going to die. It was in that moment when hope was lost, when it was the darkest. That's when Jesus comes. Because the light shines the brightest when it's the darkest. And so right now, if you feel like, man, hope has run out, that it is just, it's dark, you're in a storm, have hope. That's often when Jesus waits to come when it's the darkest. Go ahead. You will never know Jesus deeply until he comes to you in the midst of the storm. See, we can know Jesus when it's the sun is shining and, and he's providing our food and, and things are great and he's giving us good teaching. But you're never really going to understand him as your peace until you go through those hard, tough times. And Jesus then comes to you in those darkest moments as light, as truth, as his presence. And that's when your relationship will go to that next level. See, going through storms doesn't mean that we're not where we're supposed to be. Followers of Jesus, it doesn't mean that life is all rosy and things are great. Like the disciples, we'll go, and go through these storms. That's when Jesus comes to us, and that's when we learn to rely on him and him alone. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, likes to say, only when Jesus is all you have do you realize that Jesus is all that you need. Let's go on. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So they, they go to the other side, and then we see that the crowd, they follow them there. And now they're like, okay, Jesus, keep talking to us. Keep teaching us. So you can read the—I skipped some of the verses here. You can read that on your own this week. And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? They're like— Moses did all these signs, and, and we're, we know that you're going to do some signs. Yeah, you fed the 5,000, but we want to see some more signs going. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. This is after the Passover when, when, when Moses was leading them into the promised land. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, Jesus, and gives life to the world. They said to him, 
Sir, give us this bread always, just like the woman at the well. Sir, give me this water always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. This is the first seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. We're going to see that Jesus is the truer and better Moses. That Moses, he, he gave the people manna, this kind of bread-like substance they have to make in the desert, and then he parted the Red Sea. Jesus, instead, he feeds the 5,000. In the manna, they couldn't keep any leftovers, or it got rotten with, with worms. Here, Jesus says, no, collect all what's left over so it won't be lost. And then he doesn't just part the sea. He walks on the water. Jesus is the truer and better Moses. Jesus is better than this prophet they were looking back towards. Go ahead. And Jesus doesn't just give bread. He says that he is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. He invites us to take him in. In the same way that you have to take physical bread into your body for it to sustain you, to give you nourishment. You can't just look at that bread and say, that's a nice piece of bread. You have to take it in. You have to take Jesus into your heart, your soul, into your life in order for him to give that sustenance to you, to, to change you. He is the bread of life. And then Jesus goes on to say this, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. you got to remember, it's against their religion to drink blood. But now Jesus is saying, unless you drink my blood, you cannot abide in me. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate in the wilderness and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Jesus comes and says, I want to give you myself. Take my flesh, drink my blood. And they're like, what does that mean? This is against our our Old Testament law. We're not supposed to drink blood. This is weird. And people don't get it. He's not saying literally take my flesh and blood. But he's saying you need to take me into you. You you need to, to participate in me with my suffering and to drink deeply of who I am. Later we're going to see then he institutes this act of communion as a way to remember that Jesus' body was broken on the tree for us, that his blood was shed. And so when we take the bread or the little crackers this morning, we're going to do communion. When we drink the juice, it's a reminder that his blood really was shed for us. I, I think it's just so often we, we, we talk about kind of pop culture, Jesus and his teachings, and, and we lose sight of the cross. And yes, Jesus wants to bring eternal life to all of us and, and that festival joy, but before that, we have to remember that his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us. We receive spiritual bread the same way we receive physical bread, by taking it into ourselves. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, 
and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I like that John gives Peter credit for that. Where else can we go? I'm going to invite the band to come up, and in a couple minutes we're going to receive communion. My question for you is, who or what are you turning to? Where are you looking for your provision and your peace? Jesus says, come, take me in. And to our modern Western minds, and even to the Jewish people, they're like, what does that mean to eat your your flesh, drink your blood? And they didn't get it. Then afterwards, they said, okay, he's... His body is being broken for us. His blood is being shed. And, and now, for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have gathered together. And we've taken these symbols, the, the blood, the juice, the bread. And so we're handing these out, just these little goblets. Uh, we used to do homemade communion bread, but obviously with COVID, we can't do that now. But as the band leads us in one final song before we close today, My hope is that during this time, you can just take a minute to breathe and maybe even just take a deep breath, put your feet firmly on the ground, feel connected, and then just invite Jesus to do the deep work inside of you. We all have anxieties. We all have worries. You know, and Jesus wants us to give those over to him. And uh, just any time during this song, you can receive the bread. You can receive the juice. We're not going to take it all together at the same time, but just during this song as the band leads us in this song. And I pray that you would just know that Jesus is your provision, whatever it is you're going through, and that you would know that Jesus is your peace. And oftentimes when it's the darkest, that's when Jesus comes to us. That when he's all we have. That's where we realize that he's all that we need. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to sing this last song together as we just spend this time uh, remembering Jesus through receiving communion. Jesus, thank you for showing these signs that you are the Messiah, the Christ, and that you invite each and every one of us to, to follow you, to be your Talmudim, And now as we receive communion, as we eat the bread, as we drink the juice, let it be a reminder that your body was broken for us, your blood was shed for us, so that we could receive healing and forgiveness and eternal life for those of us who put our trust and hope in you. So Jesus, I just pray now that each and every one who's in this room, who's watching, that they would be filled with your love, with your peace with your joy and right now that this would just be a holy moment where we would meet with you thank you Jesus that you are our savior and our king in your name we pray amen let's sing this last song together